Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yo, what is going down, everybody? Welcome to Show Me the Meaning, Wisecracks Movie Podcast. Show me the meaning! <laughs> I am Austin Hayden, and I am joined by the Show Me the Meaning crew. We have Ryan. Sup, film fans. And joining us once again, we have Michael Burns. Hello, friends. All right, so this week we're going to do something a little different because it's not really a film per se. I mean, is it? I guess we can talk about exactly what this thing even is, but we're going to be talking about the new Bo Burnham comedy special. Is it even a comedy special? What what is it exactly? Uh, We're going to talk about that, and it's basically been tearing the internets apart um, from TikTok parodies to cultural analysis to think pieces to what was the piece that you were just saying michael insiders 26 things you may have oh missed. yeah the the <laughs> easter eggs and hints that you missed that, that, that if you understand it you'll then get it yeah yeah exactly so it's been talked about a ton people seem to really love it and then some people i have read actually really loathe it so we can kind of figure out what the deal is but basically it is bo burnham's new comedy special just released um actually last week on netflix written directed edited shot planned staged uh production design etc etc all by bo burnham from within the confines of a tiny little room slash his guest house in uh that you see a little snippet of, actually, at the end of Make Happy, right? If anyone saw the comedy special Make Happy, the very final end scene um, is kind of, I guess, where this picks up. And so, yeah, so we're going to be talking a little bit about that. So before we delve into it and start tearing it apart, let's go around and get some first impressions on this, uh, immediate reactions, that sort of thing. Let's start with Michael. I don't know how many times you've seen this. Um, if you've only seen it once or if you've seen it uh, a couple of times, what was it like the first time you saw it? What was it like if you revisited it, etc.? I'm in the two-time club. Um, the first time I saw it, I enjoyed it a good amount. I was surprised by some of the, I guess what you'd call the more like social commentary he has going on there. Um, but when I watched it the first time, I, I was left feeling a little bit like I liked what was going on form-wise. I don't know if I loved it content-wise read a bunch of think pieces and essays, watched it again. Second time through, I actually liked it better, um, probably because I had a more realistic set of expectations. Um, I think on the second watch, I appreciate it within the boundaries that I think Burnham, I'll use the word suffers, but I know it sounds kind of negative, but within the boundaries he maybe suffers from or is constrained by. Um, but I think it's I think it's pretty good, but I will say this is something that I enjoyed that I've read a lot of takes on where I also 100% see where some of the critical takes are coming from. Um, and while I don't, while, while those takes haven't made me enjoy it less, I think many of them are correct. And I'm sure we can get into some of that stuff later. Cool. Okay, what about you, Ryan? Yeah, you kind of said some of the stuff I was thinking, uh, Michael. I, uh, I, I was really pumped for this. I love Bo Burnham. I think he's one of the great comics we got, if you want to even call him a comic. But, uh, uh, but th- and then this... 
I don't know. The, the first time I watched it, I definitely did not really like it, unfortunately. I was kind of in the camp of thinking – it didn't make me laugh once, I will say. I, will re- I respected it. That's what I want to say off the bat is that I respect it for, for what he was going for. But at the same time, I never I, – I little – I yeah, like I said, never laughed once. And then – and I, I respected the form and the editing especially. That's kind of the, the – the, my main takeaway is that I liked his editing, especially going from scene to scene and the hard cuts – you know, that, that, that you get that would kind of um, gave the whole vibe of this is, you know, one man literally in this claustrophobic nightmare trying to give off this impression of, you know, what it's going like uh, or, or what it's like to go through the pandemic, which we all just lived through. So it was relatable to that extent. But, yeah, like you said, the, the content and the jokes and just kind of uh, – uh, and then the social commentary especially uh, caught me off guard in a way that – a, I, I just don't think it was that effective at, at, for comedy. And then also just as social commentary, I also thought it wasn't that effective either. I thought it was kind of surface level and lame in a weird way, like in, in which was unlike, which was un, out of characteristic for him because he's so kind of in his other stuff. And, and I don't know if it was just when he was younger, but he was just like very anti even saying anything he thought. He even says on interviews, like, I'm not into saying every little thing that I, uh, uh, you know, believe in my ideology and even says it in this special. He's like, I don't, we don't need to say every one of our thoughts and stuff, but then he has literally a whole, uh, you know, the thing with the sock puppet, which is just like a million thoughts at once. And I guess that is kind of the point is just like, you know, it's, it's the erratic brain space he was in during the year, which I respect him putting on, uh, committing to film for all of us to watch, but I don't think it worked for me. But it worked for a lot of people, so fuck me, you know. Uh, it's okay if anyone <laughs> liked it. Yeah, yeah. That's what I thought. I, I'm, I'm a Burnham fan too, you know. Um, both Michael and I had a hand in uh, helping to put out the, the Wisecrack video that we released on Bo Burnham a couple years ago. And, um, you know, I, so I watched all of Burnham's stuff and, and, um, I had known who he was, but it wasn't until I kind of like started to do a deep dive that I really started to respect, okay, I get what this young dude is doing. And there's also a sense in which I was looking at it and I'm like, this guy's quite young and it is quite refreshing to see this, this young, he was 25 when he released Make Happy. So, you know, he's what, 23, 22 when he's doing like words with, you know, the other ones. And it's like. God, so so I thought there was something interesting to see his growth as an artist, right? So I had a lot of expectation that this was going to jump off from where Make Happy left us, which I thought was a really lovely ending when he does like that Kanye riff at the end and at the very end he says, you know, I hope you're happy and he walks off the stage. And I felt like, okay, this is a this is a young man dealing with some interesting pressures of, of celebrity, of being a front-facing person, feeling um, like some imposter syndrome, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, okay, I can relate to that. I'm a middle-class white yuppie boy too, you know, and that's trying to, to create content and trying to reach people and connect with people at, at some level. So it's like I got, I got a lot of that. And so I was really hoping that this would be like the next step forward, right? And the first time I, first time I watched it, it actually was a little slow. It, it, it took me a while to get into it. I'd say the first 10 or 15 minutes, I was kind of like, okay, like, okay, I, like it's clever. I see his thing, but it didn't quite have the same energy. And maybe it's because it was just a different format and it took me a minute to get into it. And then I started to really get into it. And it was by the time the sexting song uh, the sexting segment came on that I really started to get into it. And it, and I was kind of like, okay. And then I was along for the ride. And um, 
I think I think it's clever. I think it's witty. It's got all the kind of you know self awareness and stuff that we are are accustomed to um, expecting from Burnham. I thought that there were some clever, funny quips. I actually really like the sock puppet because so one of one of Burnham's biggest comedy influences is this absurdist named Hans Taewin who just has like this black sock puppet that will like just eat a Mars bar on stage for like five minutes. And he's long said in in interviews that that's like one of his biggest comedy influences. And so I actually kind of really liked that he just leaned fully into that and was like, fuck it, I'm just going to do a sock puppet uh, thing and um, but do it in my own way. And so I kind of really liked that. Um, you know, we can talk more about this on the other side of just giving like a little brief brief synopsis here. On my second viewing, I got really into it from the get-go because I think I got it what he was doing more, you know? And I think maybe my expectations weren't met the first time through and then maybe similar to what Michael was saying. The second time through, then I was kind of like, okay, I, I can actually, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of fully on board with what he's doing here. So I actually, I would say I really like it. I don't say, I wouldn't say I love it. I don't think it like has changed the game. Um, and I think there are some interesting things we can talk about, um, especially for someone like myself. And I think I also wonder, because I didn't really go through a lockdown here in Sydney. Like, we had a couple months. You lucky son of a bitch. Well, so, I, so, so like, the idea of, like, I'm trapped in a room and I'm, I want to put a bullet in my head is not quite... I, I didn't experience that to the same level of intensity. Lucky you. I just <laughs> I know. When he says I, the thing about how he wishes he could kill himself for eighteen months, I was like, Yep, yep. <laughs> I so many times, especially last summer, it was just like, God help me die for a year and then bring me back. <laughs> and then bring me back. I know. I know. So I feel like I missed I missed some of it. So I feel like for some people who really felt that 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 pain, that existential pain, then they might have gotten a lot of like um, comfort in watching this and a lot of like a, a voice speaking for them. So I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff we can talk about. But first, let's give, I mean, I don't even know how I'm going to do a, a recap because it's not like I'm going to talk about the fucking segments or something like that. So I'm just going to do a really sort of like brief, this is what the thing is for people who have no clue. And then I'll say, just watch it. Um, but okay, so basically, stuck inside a room during the pandemic, Bo Burnham decides it's time to make another comedy special after a five-year hiatus. Using his usual shtick of self-awareness, meta-ironic detachment, cultural criticism, sarcasm, and absurdism, Burnham addresses themes such as isolation, mental health, digital media, sexting, insta-culture, wokeness and branding, celebrity culture, the role of comedy in the world, the value of art more generally, a Marxist sock puppet, and a whole lot more. Um, there's really no specific single narrative, but there are definitely conceptual through lines that bridge the scattered and somewhat random segments. And in the end, Burnham's hope is that we might get a little bit of a laugh, have a little bit of a think, and get distracted for a little bit of time from wanting to put a bullet in our heads. The end. That's a great summary. All right, but before we continue, we got to give a shout out to our sponsor, Storyblocks. Storyblocks is the complete stock solution, providing an unlimited library of over 1 million royalty free, high quality video, audio, and images through cost effective subscription plans. You can basically get these unlimited downloads of everything in their library by accessing their unlimited all access plan. If you're a creator, if you're doing podcasts, if you're doing video, um, don't sacrifice your creative vision because of a lack of budget or resources. Storyblocks has a massive library of pretty much everything you would need in terms of sound effects, music, video effects, 
for whatever editing software you're using, and um, they're all watermark free, so that you can download all of them. I personally use them on my personal YouTube channel, and then of course we at Wisecrack use them as well. And I've actually had people even ask me, they're like, where do you get some of the video that you use to insert into your like B-roll footage? And I was like, ah, it's a cheat. I use Storyblocks. And they're like, oh, okay. So if you are a creator of any type in, in the digital space, we might say, then make sure you head over to Storyblocks. That's storyblocks.com slash wisecrack. Or you can click a link in the show notes. So that's storyblocks.com slash wisecrack, or click the link in the show notes. You can go ahead and get access to all the goodies that they have on offer. All right, back to the show. Okay, so let's start peeling this onion apart a little bit. Um, let's start with Michael. Yeah, <laughs> let's bow. Is that what you said? <laughs> let's skin this bow. Let's skin. Um, okay, let me just ask this question first. Is this the comedy special that we needed at this time? No, right? Do we need any comedy special at this time? And isn't that you know one I mean? of the central questions that he asks? And is that is that like him being aware? Is that an insightful thing? Is like what do we think about that? Because he does talk about that, right? Like I just got to do the thing, the only thing I can do, make comedy. I want to leave the world better than how I found it, et cetera, et cetera. To, to me, the way it came off to me, and different strokes for different folks, but it felt very mopey and kind of pretentious to me when it was just like him, you know, like setting the camera up, like, what do I do? No one cares about comedy or, you know, like, like I'm just a small voice, you know, like, like to me, like, uh, it just felt like, all right, do we need to see this right now? Like, like I liked, this isn't the Bo Burnham I love, but maybe that's the point, you know, and I, like... Like, we're all going through something. Even Bo Burnham is, right? But I don't know, man. Yeah. What about I saw you guys? Someone, I saw someone make a comment on, like, you know, Bo Burnham being, like, I was locked in a room, so I had to do this. And they were just like, I don't know. Like, Seth Rogen just made pottery for a year. Like, you didn't have to do it. <laughs> like, you could have you could have done other stuff. So, But I guess, like, that's, you know, part of what's confusing and interesting and maybe frustrating about the special is, like, you know, the whole conceit is sort of, like, the the emotional man locked away in the tiny room but it's like is a guest house for his gorgeous home where he lives in with his partner and dog and you know what i mean like at the end yeah, of he's a film, famous filmmaker yeah it's just sort of like i don't know like were things really there is the part of my brain that's like oh it must have been real hard for you my guy um but i don't know but i guess the one thing i will say is at least he didn't make it about I, I like the way that he responded to the year without naming the things because he doesn't talk about coronavirus, doesn't talk about the specifics of like um, the, the protest and civil unrest and everything was happening in the country and stuff like that. He responded to those things in a way that made them more about him in a way that I think was good because it wasn't Bo Burnham being like, let me guide you through making sense of the last year. Because I think that would have been bullshit. And I'm glad that he avoided that who knows if he was tempted to do it, but someone's going to make that special, and that's going to suck. He does. He is aware of this, though, at times, right? It's like he he constantly even recognizes, like like he'll be like, oh, but you're saying that I should shut the fuck up, and I'm not shutting the fuck up, and he's like, yes, but, and then it cuts. And so the idea is again is that he's. It's almost like he. I get the sense that he's like, I don't know what else to do, and the only thing I know how to do is this, and it 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 might be stupid, and he's like, but what the fuck am I going to do? Um, I give away my money. I'm not going to give away my money. And then it's like, uh, I could just not make stuff. Well, that, that's fucking stupid. Uh, I could put a bullet in my head, but I'm not going to do that. So literally, it is like there is zero decision 
And, and that's kind of how I felt like this whole comedy special was. I'm, I'm at this precipice where no decision I ever make is going to be the right decision. And so therefore I just do something. And it's the only something that I know how to do. And so here you go. And at the very least, I hope you like it. And is that clever or is that – is there a sense in which it's like – I don't know. Is the, Like a cynical take would be like, oh, he's just going for a cash grab because you know he can make some money during this time. Um, or there could be some sort of – I don't of, believe that. Yeah, and I don't think so either. I think there is – I think he does seem to be a genuine human. Yeah. So I trust his intentions a lot. And that's the thing. Yeah, I think that's the too. reason why like even some of the critical takes – I'm not getting like too mad at him because I think he's an he's an introspective, creative, talented dude. The the, ma- the thing he managed to make on his own is just incredible. Like this one day, I was trying to make this 90 second video and it took me all day, and I just got pissed off and deleted it. You know, so um, <laughs> I, I just think I wonder if his like if his thinky side needs to catch up to his artist or performative side. He can sing, he can write songs, oh. he can structure stuff. But I feel like in this special, he thinks he has more to say than he does. And I feel like that's mm. where it falls flat at certain parts. See, I, I, I think that he's one of the few performers that, like, I actually, uh, he, he says so much by saying so little in all of his mm. other performances, if that makes sense. Like, like they're yeah. so well put, choreographed and put together and written and smart. And, like, they do have a point. Like, every bit, you know, has, like, a... a a meta point and a point and, and, and whatever. And this is where I felt like he kind of regressed in this thing. Like somebody made a good point in the chat. I was paying attention. Ellie Warner said, you know, was responding to me talking about how pretentious it was. And he says he works in pretentiousness and all of his, uh, into all of his specials. And like he com- uh, and then she says, and he even brings it up in this one. And yeah, he comments on his commentary and, or his, or how pointless, you know, him saying something is in the thing. And I think that, in other specials, he he does that with that more efficiently, and and he ends up actually saying something. Whereas this one, it was almost like a cover. It's like he basically was kind of saying, "I'm I I have nothing to give right now," or or, or here's my plight. But then also, who cares about it? That that's a, a being really self aware, basically, uh, while not saying anything, is how I took it for this one special. What did you guys think about that? Or just using self-awareness as a cover to not say anything. I mean, I couldn't help but think about that, like, Gal Gadot video that had to have come out at some point when he first started making this. The Imagine thing at the beginning of the pandemic where the celebrities told us we were all going to be okay because they knew the words to the the John Lennon song. classic. Yeah. So I I looked at it a little bit as like, okay, like, he is aware of all the very tone-deaf things celebrities and famous people have said to try to make people feel better. And he's at least operating with that awareness. And I think he invites us into that tension of someone who both knows that some of this is bullshit and knows that there is this ridiculous tendency of, of famous people to try to make sense of things when their lives are pretty easy. But he's also like a person who minds the depths of his own, you know, mental health to, to explore how he's feeling. So to me, I just it felt like it was in this like middle tension place between those poles. Yeah. it's So this is kind of shifting tack a little, but I was chatting a few months ago with uh, an actor friend and she she was basically telling me something that it kind of bl- I, has stayed with me and she was like uh, 
Male actors or male performers, we might say, oftentimes get rewarded for doing something that uh, like female or women performers just do all the time. And I was like, well, what do you mean? She's like, you know, when Christian Bale loses weight or has a freak out on set, people are like, oh, he's just so passionate about his art, right? Um, and it's like, oh, because a man just shows a hint of emotion, like he just automatically gets rewarded for being human, like on this other side. And I was, and, and it's kind of stuck with me a lot. And I don't know how far to take it, but I kind of feel like the tortured artist syndrome is something that gets romanticized with men a lot, right? The guy who is really struggling and working through, but we don't oftentimes romanticize it for... Uh, women artists, right? Like, you don't oftentimes, like, yeah, you'll be like, it'll be like, oh my God, they had so much, Sylvia Plath was such a tortured soul. But it's never like such a beautiful artist, uh, a romantic, tortured artist. Sarah Kane, who's a brilliant playwright, a uh, a British playwright, like, they'll be like, oh my God, she had demons and stuff like that. But it's very rare that it comes with the romanticism that you get, where I feel like a lot of people then automatically romanticize a dude when a dude is going through kind of Things that are, I not that not that it isn't a, a a big feat to do an inner journey, but it's just that it's kind of glossed over with this like sheen that it's given a lot of times, and we kind of are like, oh my god, and we and we praise a lot of dudes when they kind of um, engage in this terrain, and I don't always know if that's the best thing, and I wonder if there's something kind of interesting going on there as well, and then I think Bo knows you mean just this. the double standard, or or yeah, or the fact that we're praising yeah wait what do you mean yeah i mean it, it, there's a double standard but then it's also it's just kind of interesting that i think bo kind of leans into this quite a bit he plays the role of being the tortured artist a little bit you know and it's something that he gets away with and then he gets a lot of credit for and people kind of then are are just giving him a I wouldn't few say he's praise. getting away with it i think he's just uh, yeah there's probably an element of truth to the the, the double standard of genders and the tortured artists and whatnot i think you can find examples of it though but yeah he he definitely up till now though he's been to me a very energetic like almost savant prodigy kid you know we we met him what when he was 15 or something and he was super smart saying you know all the the lyrics and uh, of his early songs and stuff and then his stand-up was super smart and then yeah I, I this is the first time I've seen him as the tortured artist, really, because yeah, he he opens his special by literally talking about wanting to put a fucking gun in his mouth, or whatever, and you're like, okay, well, that's the way to start, you know, and 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 honestly, we haven't really talked about it, but but him talking in front of the mirror at the very beginning of this special is, I think, very important to this whole thing, because he when, when he when he when he did it, I was expecting it to kind of him to subvert that or something. Cause he literally is talking, you know, filming into the mirror, just saying like, I don't know what the fuck this is basically. Uh, who knows? I just filmed this and I'm, here I am. And I, I was like, okay, waiting for the joke. But no, he was being real. Like I kind of, you, you realize that as the thing's going on, he just doesn't know what this is. This isn't anything to call it even a comedy specialist. He doesn't even know what it is. So, and, and it's interesting that here we are like trying to, you know, uh, twist all the meaning fucking that we care from it um which is what we do so uh no big deal but yeah i i i like that he did that i just none of it worked for me almost like almost none of it i thought was that funny or whatever but i i I don't know a lot of people like the sexting and the the relay and the jeff bezos one i think was my favorite one that was the most relatable one to me was the jeff bezos that one's very random (laughs) and funny i I do think there's something about the packaging of it right like and i think this is something 
I I think that like Brits and I don't know if other Europeans do this well as well, but there's like this history of like the one person show that sits at this space like between theater and stand up comedy. And I feel like we don't like have that space as much. And then that American comedy is so tied to like the stand up special that that our brain hears like comedic thing. And I just like if this was more like a one man show or something that was comedic but wasn't like a comedy special. I think that framing would have helped me, but I think there's something hard about like, Oh, Bo Burnham has a new special. And of course it's Bo Burnham. So I expect to think I expect it to be like Ryan pointed out before. So, so astutely like these different meta levels of commentary he has. Um, but yeah, it wasn't the funniest thing. And I think the second time, the second time through when I knew I wasn't going to laugh a lot, I liked it better because I wasn't waiting for like some punchline to hit. Not that he's like a punchline comic anyways, but you know what I mean? So it's kind of funny because he does like at the end of of Make Happy, I think, where he says like, uh, I hope I just made you laugh. And he kind of does like the kind of laugh. And I think he is very aware that that's the kind of laugh that he's trying to get out of out of a lot of his jokes. Right. It isn't like the bending over and like, oh, my God, you're laughing out loud. Like when you listen to Patrice O'Neill or something like that. Right. Like I think he knows that he's eliciting a different type of response. And I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm giving him a lot of credit, but I feel like, I feel like there was a lot of control in, in making this, like that he knew kind of exactly what this was going to be, how it was going to land. Um, it's a very well-crafted piece, I think. Yeah. What were you going to say, Ryan? Yeah, totally. Oh, I thought you were going to... Oh, uh, yeah. no, oh well, I, uh, before I was asking if, if you meant uh, he, he was going for the, huh, laugh on this yeah. one special or all yeah. of his work, you think that that's on this, what on he this one. generally is for? On this okay. one in particular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, can I, I ask think, you guys this then? Yeah, if he's going for that laughter, like, what do we think he's trying to say? Because I, I don't know. I think there's a few readings we could have of the thing as a whole. Maybe he's trying to say nothing. Maybe he's capturing a mood. But I'm just curious if for either of you, there was a thematic to this, a thing that's on his mind, one thing he's trying to yeah. say or communicate. Ryan? Well, can I ask her, answer your question with the question? And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and this is, uh, uh, you know, the, the mental health aspect of, of this whole thing, right? Like is in terms of like a lot of people are, are saying, you know, like, like this is a man who has a literal mental illness and is you're, he's, you're watching him cope with it through his art, you know, which I like that interpretation but it, do we think that that is the reality does Bo Burnham I mean I don't know the answer to this like I'm sure there's you know objectively I know he has a lot of anxiety issues does he consider himself to have a a bona fide chronic mental illness you know and, and that that's what we're watching him deal with yeah I don't know like uh like 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 does he suffer with clinical depression or yeah, something severe, like that so clinical depression exactly you know like like I mean he does talk about putting a bullet in his mouth obviously and uh, yeah. um there's the section so, i mean where that the, but basically to answer your question yeah. mike then that could very well be it's 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 somebody it's watching somebody deal you know with anxiety depression and stuff right in front of you and making art out of it and what during the most tumultuous time in american history ever in all of our lives and you're kind of so you know that is one interpretation of it if that's what's happening we're gonna say there's this one part michael Oh, no, no, no. But because I, I liked what Ryan was saying. Yeah. Well, about the mental illness thing, there was the one part when he plays the video game of himself. At the beginning, it says right. something like SSRI Industries, um, which, you know, SSRIs are a type of, of antidepressant. Yeah, so I didn't know if that was him. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I was like, oh, is that him like commenting on, you know, going through experience of being depressed and do, do taking medication or whatever? I don't know, but it seemed to be at least like a wink to that. Yeah, I think if there is a single thematic, um, it's uh, about detachment and loneliness in the digital age where everything is mediated by everything. And so there's that internet song where he says, you know, a little bit of everything all of the time. And it's that it's that little idea that I think is really the motif. It's like, oh yeah, so we are constantly fractured. So what do we do? We go on Instagram and we uh, we kind of all mimic each other. And we post the same photos in the same way, in the same lighting. We're doing the same things because we're trying to connect with people. Or we sext with people. It's not sex, but it's the next best thing. And we're all doing the same thing. And we're laughing because it's like, oh, yeah, we have the emojis that tell us how to sext with, you know, the person that we're engaged with this activity with. And we all say the same things and we all struggle with the same things. Like, oh, am I going to take a picture of my penis? It looks weird. Under the, da, 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 da. You know, it's um, – and then it's uh, – oh, we have uh, – we have uh, kind of like cultural issues that we're dealing with, uh, with with like celebrities or with like economic exploitation. And uh, but what the fuck do we do about it? Well, the only thing we can do about it is kind of maybe go on the internet or um, shout something into the void or say something, you know. And so I think that the for me the theme is something about the kind of like mediation of everything that is at our fingertips all the time and how that leads to fracturing, isolation, et cetera, et cetera. And then the pandemic for me is only like the catalyst that kind of exacerbates that tendency. And so I don't think that the pandemic I like I don't think that this inside special is something that couldn't have been made outside of the pandemic, you know? I think that it's something that is kind of a a universal theme that is becoming more and more potent the deeper and deeper we kind of move into kind of the neo-feudal platform uh capitalist economy that we're that we're heading into. Mm-hmm. So, Yay. yeah. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. Uh, um... Yay. <laughs> To, to, to piggyback on what you're saying, too, in terms of, uh, uh, I, I think, form-wise, I, I was really pleasantly surprised that he didn't, he, he could have easily used all these internet clips and made it way more jumpy and stuff, and way, made, way more graphics-heavy, but it was very much like like him filming with a camera in a weird light thing, and uh, 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 weird disco lights or whatever, in his room, and he didn't use all these graphics, he, he's making all these references to stuff rapid fire but you're it's you kind of have to just be listening to the lyrics and stuff and i think that that was cool that he's mm-hmm. it's like a very it's about the internet but of kind of mm-hmm. less internet-y uh mtv style however the hell you want to call it sorry mike i cut you off no 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 um yeah if i were to give an extreme take on what i think it's about maybe mm-hmm. and i'll preface it by saying something i really liked about it is he didn't tell us what to do so there's like a lot of comedians yeah. these days who will be like climate change and then they'll like be like these people are bad we hate them they make the world bad but me and my friends we're the good ones and i'm like right, right. Eat like eat shit this is not funny and you're not doing anything what are you talking about <laughs> um and i like that bo burnham was like opened us up to his critical process of thinking about the world but wasn't like i'm the good one be a good one like me but i do think and i'm gonna this is riffing off a couple things he says in two of the last songs of the show i kind of think it's a really like fatalistic take on things in which he thinks like it's done like it's over like we're not going to make the world better we're not going to stop climate change we're not going to de-digitize the economy and people's attention spans you know he talks at one point about like uh you know uh digital media corporations exploiting the neurochemical drama of our children for profit yeah that's when he's like laying down all like sad on a fucking pillow and he's like like maybe we shouldn't have done that Right. Yeah. It's, it's kind of it's want, kind of like a, yeah. a fall, like a fall narrative. Like, like I don't oh, know. Maybe we shouldn't have done that. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've eaten part, the apple. Yeah. We've eaten the fruit. And in, in one the of their final yeah. songs, he says, 
You say the ocean's rising. I don't give a shit. You say the world is ending. Honey, it already did. And I think there's this sense in which, like, he's trying to be honest about the state of the world. And I don't think he's expressing a hopefulness about making things better. But I think he's trying to honestly acknowledge the state we're in. And I think especially when he talks about the effect of the Internet on everything from, like, you know, the Silicon Valley types to children's neurochemical transmitters to what it means to feel like you've got to create content at a constant clip. I kind of appreciated that. And I almost mm. found his like pseudo nihilism comforting because he felt it felt honest to me. You like know what it kind of reminds me of? It reminds, yeah, an honest despair. It reminds me of like the lamentations uh, of like ancient, ancient religious poetics, right? Where you're just lamenting that fucking destruction is coming you've been abandoned by god the world is against you there is no hope and it does it definitely has that type of lamenting type of of vibe to it but here's the thing is is when whenever someone like makes such a a cry like that it's not necessarily like they're making an objective statement about the world like the world really is over it's more of just a fuck this is bellowing from the depths of my soul and is that why you happening found in the moment? Yeah, like so. Is that maybe why you found comfort in it? Not because he's saying like, therefore, don't do anything. Because he's not making like political or social prescriptions yeah. here. Yeah, he's just. Well, that's saying, when I liked it the best when it was at its most yeah. existential. You know, it makes you think of there's a lot of existential literature. People talk about you know, uh, sort of tap dancing on the abyss, and people like uh, you know Friedrich Schilling and Soren Kierkegaard are always talking about like abysses and chasms and pits of unknowing. And it is that feeling of like, oh, shit, things might not get better. Oh, shit, this might be the way the world is. But it seems like he's describing it from this experiential and existential perspective, not the sort of like, according to a recent UN study, if temperatures don't blow, <laughs> you know, he's not doing that. Yeah. Which some comedians actually do, which once again, we know this now. I hate them. But yeah, so I like <laughs> that it's a subjective thing for him. Uh, well, I, I like that he, I have always liked that he deals with stuff head on. You know, he's not afraid to tap or tiptoe around stuff or whatever he goes straight into all these you know intense issues and um that's why yeah kind of like i said before it's to me before when it had commentary this was just kind of wallowing in it this was just kind of saying like all right yeah this shit's fucked up this shit's fucked up this shit's fucked up and i'm acknowledging it but i have no power to do it here's a funny song about instagram (laughs) <laughs> and I hit, that's how I'm dealing with my state of mind. I don't know. I'm being cynical about it. I feel bad about it because he put a lot of his heart and soul into it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Bo, if you're ever but watching no, the, this. No, the depth of analysis <laughs> isn't as deep as some of the ideas and the pathos he expresses. And I think that's where it feels lacking. I think in previous specials, it's very clear. This is someone who's thought about entertainment, what it means to be a performer, mm. the psychology of the performer in such deep and profound ways, especially when he's like a teenager and it's like, I couldn't do shit when I'm a teenager. How are you doing this? I think now he's like, oh, wow, there's these structural things in the world. And he's smart enough to see that. He's smart enough to connect the dots. I just think he hasn't thought about it for as long. So doesn't have as much depth to contribute in that, like, I think for any of us, it's not when we watched this and we were like, oh, my God, I never thought about that. We were like, oh, yeah, that's that's true. That's a way to think about it. Whereas in some of the previous specials, there were times where I was like, oh, fuck, never thought about that part of being, you know, of making content or consuming content or whatever. And that's why I'm kind of curious to see what he does in the coming years, because it seems like he's on an mm-hmm. interesting maybe trajectory oh, yeah. now. Yeah, I'm very hopeful he's about a lot of them so now, the future of Bo. So many people that maybe didn't study 
philosophy or that don't spend as much time doing this type of, of cultural analysis, they seem to be really kind of taken by the analysis, right? Um, so do you think there's also a sense in which it's kind of like Zoomers or you know those who don't spend as much time thinking about art in this way that for them, they're like, oh, fuck, like this is actually... Uh... A clever. Zoomers are smart. I just want to say so everyone knows yeah, yeah. Austin is the one that implied Zoomers are bad. Zoomers are dank and have like sick TikTok no, memes that explore like I've political economy with stuff. So No, the revolution's going to come and I'm going to be a generation <sighs> trader. I will kill a millennial to let the Gen Z know I'll be a foot soldier. I just think you got to pick sides and that's where I'm at. All I went to say was people who have yet... <laughs> Those those of the Zoomer generation who have yet to kind of delve into this type of analysis, um, you know, or those of even the millennial generation who don't spend as much time on this, or fuck, maybe even Xers. I mean, I don't know. But just the idea is, is do we think that that for people who don't spend as much time engaging in this type of cultural analysis, that this was kind of like an oh shit moment for them, you know? Like I would say this was a perfect like like – yeah, introduction to like uh, the the f- philosophy subreddit <laughs> cover or something, where it's just like, all right, yeah, f- you know, for younger people, I could see this totally working on me, where I'm like, wow, that was a deep special. I want to be like Bo Burnham and make cool stuff, and that, and in that way, that's a good thing, Hell you yeah. know. Even though me, this jaded thirty four year old, <laughs> you know podcaster on this show who's tearing this shit apart <laughs> i mean like the dude clearly went out and made something you know and uh and i yeah like it, i think it just was very surface level i think the commentary whereas before it wasn't mm, okay so then let's think about this why do he we have a lot to live up to why why do some people gravitate to this so much like why has this caused such an uproar um, like Michael, I know you've tweeted about how some people hated on the special. I haven't seen so much hate. The critiques that I've seen are more from like academically minded types that are like, oh, it was just kind of yeah. shallow and it wasn't that deep. It wasn't really that acute I think of a analysis. lot of cranky comedy types hate it. And I think it's a lot of people who I follow on social media who are like comedians or writers or performers or comedy critics who are a little bit older and are kind of just like put off by his earnestness. And, and and that's why I think some of those criticisms, I think they're kind of bullshitty. It's like, okay, just because this person like has feelings and stuff doesn't mean we get to be like, he's not funny. Um, but I, but I, and I think there's also a type of person and I've, this is a couple of critiques I saw on the internet this week. I don't really agree with these who were like, oh, so the guy that lives in a mansion has millions of dollars and has a guest house to make a special and is going to tell me how hard the world is. And like, I get that. And that's, yeah, one person who argued with me on Twitter about this was like basically argued that he's never struggled for anything. So why should we care about what he has to think? Um, I'm not going to say what I think about that necessarily, but I think that's some of, some of the criticism comes from that. And I think some of the other criticism I've seen from people that are a little bit more sympathetic are like comedy types who are like, this is really cool looking. It's extremely impressive. This guy's really talented, but I don't know what he's really saying or that they find what he's saying a little bit like surface level. Mm. No, not things I think necessarily. I'm just reporting yeah, yeah, yeah. the front lines of internet commentators. Okay, then why do we think that on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, why are so many people just enamored by this? Like, wh- why do people love this? What is it about this special in particular? Is it at this particular time? That's why I asked at the outset, like, is this the comedy special we needed at this time? I think some people really felt like they could ha- like their voice was being given some sort of airtime. But I think this is anyone else made like post pandemic art that really captures what it's like to like 
be in your like shitty house or room and you truly can't remember the last time you showered and your hair is all crazy and you smell bad. And especially if you're a creative person, you like want to make shit, but you feel too like bum to make shit. And maybe you cry a little bit, but then you like watch a funny video and you forget that you were crying. Like he captures that really well, like, really well. <laughs> and I think a lot of people that didn't live in Australia, just surfing through the pandemic can you know relate to that. Effect. <laughs> yeah. People like comedy. They like, honest observational humor stuff you know and topical things we're like oh yeah i agree with that kind of stuff and he's a charismatic dude you got funny songs always a winner um and yeah and honest and honestly i i do think that the the there's a lot of people dealing with severe anxiety and mental issues and stuff that relate to it so you uh uh because of the pandemic and not because of the pandemic and so, yeah, so I think that all that in one makes it a big, makes it a hit in the, in the, in the TikTok age. I mean, I've been, I've been going through a, like my own little bout of writer's block, right? And I've been, I've done a lot of like self-diagnosis just over the years in general, whenever I'm in one of these funks, what is it? And for me, it oftentimes comes from, it's like a lack of confidence, right? It's like a crisis of faith. Like, um, I, my favorite thing I ever really heard about writer's block was from, uh, Johnny Resnick of the Goo Goo Dolls, who's like the crazy thing about writer's block. He's like the crazy thing about writer's block is like you're still producing stuff. You just think that everything you produce sucks. And so uh, you I just, saw that behind the music. Behind the too. music, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I was like, I was like <laughs> yeah, I was like from way back in the day, right? And so it's it's stuck with me, right? And and I think that's that's exactly that's how my writer's block manifests itself. It's just like a, a crisis of confidence, right? So the first time I watched this, I sat there and I was like, I felt like a big pile of shit because I was like. Why can't you just you can't produce anything because this like this guy he just he can write he can play the piano he's he's funny he's humorous he's got enough resources to do these cool light displays in this cool little home studio that he has and you're just a fucking loser and you can't produce anything and blah 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 it doesn't matter you could like you could be like yeah but dude you've done this 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 doesn't matter doesn't no, 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 I'm I'm a piece of shit uh, and, and I don't know why. I felt that way, but it was almost like I was looking at somebody that was so multifaceted and had these opportunities to produce something, and I got a little envious and a little jealous. And then How it could made... you not? Yeah. I would think you were crazier if you didn't. If you're any type of person who wants to create any type of content that's comedic or otherwise, and you look at the fact he, he, he writes songs, and the songs are good, and he writes his jokes, and they're good, and his editing, like Ryan pointed out, is good, and like... He's just a super fucking talented guy, and I don't trust you if part of your brain isn't like, fuck. And, he, and he's handsome. I mean, <laughs> come on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's what that was my first kind of like, that was my first reaction. I literally sat there afterwards, and I was like, ha, that was fun. And then I was like, Oh man, I fucking suck, man. I got to start doing something. And then and then and then Michael and I had a little bit of exchange and I wonder how much of this is true. Like how much of his ability to produce stuff comes from him having just a little bit of like middle-class white boy hubris, right? Like it takes a lot of hubris at some point to be like I'm just going to fucking make something, right? Like I'm just going to throw it against the wall, especially something this kind of ambitious totally self-produced self-shot like there's a little bit where you got to be a little bit like okay like yeah maybe it's the only thing i know how to do because this is just who i am but also where you're like yeah people are people need this right like like this needs to go out like there's something at least in my mind that when i make that handoff to like publish something that i'm like or to produce something that i'm kind of like oh yeah this 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 needs to be seen by others 
Not to bring up sports, but real quick, there's a thing you hear a lot if, like, you're watching an NBA game. There's someone who misses 10 shots in a row and keeps shooting. And they'll be like, the difference between a good shooter and a bad shooter is a a good shooter will miss 10 shots, and he absolutely believes he's making the 11th shot. He has no doubt in his mind. A normal person misses 10 shots and says, I'm not an idiot. If I miss 10, I'm probably going to miss 11. And I think Bo Burnham has a little bit of that in him, where he, like, believes in himself enough to take these shots. Hmm. See, I, I, I can admire that, though, and, and I think there's a way that we could criticize it and be like, oh, it's just like middle-class white male privilege, but then at the same time, there's also something kind of admirable that anyone who's a creative, you have to have a little bit of that, like, okay, I'm going to take that 11th shot, right? No? Maybe? Yes? Silence? I'm alone. <laughs> Ryan looked. I'm alone. Ryan did the pre-talk mouth move, and it was like he did the pre-move. Well, I was trying. I was like thinking about that metaphor, like in terms of trying to think of the eleventh shot. But I mean, yeah, there's people of all ages, genders, races are tinkering in the room with shit and and stuff. I will say that the fact that he has a name, he knows that his weird little pandemic art project is going to get to be seen by a million people and be on Netflix. So that's not like. Anybody can go, all right, I'm going to spend a year making this thing in my room, and that's all I'm going to do. And, uh, you know, they don't have Netflix, uh, Netflix play, paying their utility bill every month. So it's like that, that's, it's a way bigger risk for anybody else to, to, to do something like this and put it up and say, oh, this is going to be my job, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, uh, so, yeah, in a sense, I, I agree with you. Yeah. Michael, we were talking before we started recording. We were talking about the white women on Instagram, oh, and yeah. I was kind of – and I was laughing about it because there have been some really clever sort of stitches and duets on TikTok of white women who are on Instagram that are like, damn, Bo Burnham, I feel really seen. And they show all their photos of them with like the 27 balloon, uh, 27 age balloon or, um, you know, the potted plant by the window or whatever it is that is very similar to the way that he kind of um, stages it. You said that you thought that there was something interesting in that song. What was Here's it the that, question. Yeah. Question for you guys, for everyone who's with us right now hanging out. It, there's a part of that song, the frame shifts, and the person does a post uh, about their dead mom. And it cuts from like all these little factoids to like someone doing a post about they're missing their mom, tell dad I said hi in heaven, or something like that, right? I feel like there's at least two ways to interpret that. One, Bo Burnham's stopping and he's saying, hey, even people that are constantly posting vapid shit or whatever or, you know, things just like everyone else on social media, they're people too. They have feelings, blah, blah, blah. Other way to read that is people are so cynical these days, they will even turn, like, missing dead loved ones into content. Um, that was my interpretation. My, th- that yeah, was mine. mine and I do think that that's, like, <laughs> yeah. depends on how you look at the special. <laughs> and for me, the moment I was like, oh, he's saying that, like, People do this stuff, and initially we're like, oh, see, they're just doing something sweet. But then you think about it more, and you're like, why do you have to turn this into fucking content? And I think then he's making this bigger point. But, I, but I've seen people respond. I think I read at least like one review where they were like, but he backs away and says something really sweet. And I was like, I don't think that was sweet. Yeah, I don't think it was sweet either. I mean, not that he doesn't have – his critique of, of culture is always pretty cutthroat. Right, he he might back off at some point and be like, "Well, what else are we gonna fucking do?" But that's 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 much less like a oh, but they're genuine in their um, creation of this Instagram post. He he rarely ever. 
goes to that. He's always like, oh, you're genuine, so you think, but really you're just building a brand. Because if you look at everything else from that brand awareness one where he's like, I'm Bo Burnham and I'm a brand now, totally fucking cynical, right? Right? The Instagram one, same sort of thing. Even the sexting song is funny, but I find it also there's a there's a tinge of sadness that's like it's not sex, but it's the next best thing because we can't do anything else because we're stuck in this shitty, isolated situation. So again, I don't know. I, I definitely would take yeah. the more cynical. Well, and-, and it does make me think of a point he says. I forget what sketch this is from, but I just have it written down. He said at one point, the non-digital world is merely a theatrical space in which one stages right. and records content for the yes. much more real, much more vital digital space. Yes. And I think that's like a theme throughout as well. Like who cares about real life? Who cares about being with a real person or comforting a, a loved one who's died? It's about making that shit digital, getting clicks, making content out of it. Yeah. And even though he only so explicitly like and subscribe talks- if you're watching this. <laughs> yeah right. Even, <laughs> Content baby. Even though he only he only explicitly shits on celebrities for like um, using social causes for their own self actualization. I can't remember what the exact line is. Um, but I think that that we could also say that yeah, we also as non celebs who are trying to be celebs by branding ourselves through our online personas, right? By maintaining our ratings uh, of through social media followers and likes and things like that. Like that we too are also sort of like trying to self-actualize by posting about our relationship with our dead mom or whatever it is that we're posting about. That there is a sense in which we're trying to do that. But then here's the the alternative. I also won't fault people for doing that because people only have the options to do stuff insofar as they have resources that are at their disposal. And so if you live in a world that only gives you a certain supply of resources, those are the tools that you're going to be working with. So for me, it takes us right up to that limit and then it makes us say, okay, so if we see that's true and if we're going to make some sort of like critical uh, remarks on that, then what can we do beyond that? And that's what I think Bo, he does kind of leave us with. He kind of, he doesn't give us the answer and say, therefore you should do this do that whatever but it's much more like okay so this is the problem and and here we are we're stuck with we're stuck with an, a, a gnarly problematic and it's kind of like okay well let's let's kind of confront that head on i don't know and for me that's kind of clever i'm seeing head nods yeah. head nods oh, I, I, yeah i think it's, yeah. it's, it's a, Thanks, a Bo. subtle agreement with you an agreement with Bo, and uh yeah, and I do think you're right. Like he doesn't tell us what to do but i think he maybe does encourage you to like acknowledge things for what they really are and I think a lot of what he shows us is like the simulacrum and the sort of like shit we use to distract ourselves with. And a lot of times in the special, it's like, here's how we normally distract ourselves. If you move away from that, you know, Plato's cave type stuff, you might realize that shit's kind of fucked up, but maybe that's good. Maybe it's healthy to like step away from, you know, the proverbial screen or whatever and, and break through a bit. So good for him. Just make your funny songs in your dark room mm-hmm. and just... Hope that everything goes away. Yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. As, as we hurl, as we hurl headlong into heat death. Um, yeah, world burns outside of you, but you're in your room with your piano, dog. And you're doing it. You're doing it, folks. What were your favorite segments or sketches from this? What, what do you have? Like a what, what's a highlight? I know. So Ryan, you said the Bezos, the Bezos bit. Yeah, the Jeff Bezos and all the transitions. To I really like the the very quick ones. I wish I had one off the top of my head, but you know the things that would that would be the the, the little bookends in between the longer sketches were great. But yeah, the Jeff Bezos was probably my my favorite long form one. Is that the one where he said Jeff Bezos, you did it? 
Is that the one or? Yeah, it's just like it's just him congratulating Jeff Bezos. <laughs> it's the whole song about Jeff Bezos' how... own personal anthem about how awesome he is. And he tells like Gates and Buffett they can like fucking suck it because like Bezos yeah, is yeah. the one. I like how he doesn't say perfectly. what he did. It's just like you did it. You are the <laughs> yeah, guy. you did it. Richest dude in the world. Uh, so good. What about you, Michael? Um, I mean, I liked a lot of stuff. I, I think I, I liked the React video. The se- okay, the the first time through, I did not like the React to the React to the React video. Second time through, loved it because I liked when he the first time he reacts is like, oh, this is right there. This is about like you know, there's a lot of songs about labor exploitation. So blah blah blah. Then the second time, he's like, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to sound smart there because I feel this need to have everything I say have a meaning. And then the next time through, it's like. See, I like to shit on myself because I'm so afraid of criticism. I undercut myself and criticize, but I don't actually think that because I really believe in what I'm saying. Like, I thought that was pretty fun. Yeah, yeah. I, I would like to second that. That that was probably the smartest sketch. Like, like that, that to me was like classic Bo Burnham yeah. fucking meta shit, you know, and stuff. I didn't laugh, but uh, uh, importantly, but yeah. I still thought it was it was good and clever. Well, and I think that and the funny feeling song were two things that viewing one, I was like, eh. Second time through, I really liked the funny feeling song. When it, there's a line where it's like, you know, gift shop at the shooting range and shooting at the mall or something, uh, or mass shooting at the mall. And then, like, that funny feeling. At first, I was like, what is he talking about? And I was like, oh, yeah, the way that, like, fucked up shit's happening all the time. And it makes us feel weird, but we feel weird because there's nothing we can do about it. We don't know how to stop it. And it's just part of life. And I was like, fuck, Bo, you kind of got that one. And it's so funny when he starts that song and he's like, I'm not very good at guitar and I can't sing either. Huh. <laughs> it's like, fuck you, man. Just he's go good at playing the sub characters. You were saying that uh, you're looking forward to seeing what he produces in the future. Do you think he's going to step aside for years again? Or do you think that he's going to do a live? Like once things open back up, do you think he's going to go back to, to doing? Because he says that, that like, uh, uh, you know, I, I was basically, it, was, it had been four years. And I was kind of like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to doing live shows. And then that was in January of 2020. And then, of course, he couldn't. So he does this thing where there's no audience. Do you think we'll see him back doing live stuff again? Like, do you think he's going to go direct another film? Do you think, like, what do you think is the future? for Bo or do you think he's gonna be like fuck I gotta take a break I don't know I hope he does more weird video shit like this it's experimental even though I'm you know cracking on it like uh, uh, I think that that he has it in him to do all sorts of weird projects and yeah I'd love to see another narrative film like 8th grade 8th grade was great and I'd love to see another stand-up special I'm selfish I want more Bo in my life (laughs) yes give me the more stand-up give me the more movies and give me more weird experimental stuff and I just hope I like the next one yeah. more. You know? Agreed yeah. on all counts. Okay. And I think if I could design a Dream Bo Burnham project, I'd love for him to have a TV series or like streaming series that was like 10 episodes and was like vignettes where it wasn't like a narrative structure, but he just did something for 10 times for half an hour. Or Are you where Zach or... Stone is going to be famous f- f- fan? I'm going to be honest. I never watched that. And now I kind of want well, to. Well, you got your dream project. Oh. Your dream Bo Burnham project's been made. Well, Go a, check I'm, it out. I'm a fucking idiot then. I was thinking a little more like like him doing like weird like artsy shit. But yeah. Okay. I don't know. I just wanted to make stuff. I hope he does a live performance. I would like to go to one. Yeah. Yeah. I agree on everything. I hope he makes another film too because I loved 8th grade. So... Okay, cool. So let's go ahead and wrap up the chat about Inside There and let's quickly turn to the mailbag just to answer one quick question email. We didn't get any voicemails. I'm surprised we didn't get any voicemails about Top Gun. I got a lot of people hit me up on Twitter about Top Gun, but we didn't get any emails or voicemails about Top Gun. Um, 
But people are still talking to us about Pulp Fiction, so we'll delve into some of that. So if you want to call us and leave us a voicemail about Bo Burnham's Inside or about anything from our back catalog, you can call us at 1-213-534-8807. That's 1-213-534-8807. Or if you don't want to leave us a voicemail, you can send us an email at movies at wisecrack.co. That's movies at wisecrack.co. So Albert wrote in about Pulp Fiction and said, team, appreciate the call-outs. I wanted to remark on Raymond's feelings about Pulp Fiction. I was also introduced to Tarantino with Kill Bill, and likewise feel like Pulp Fiction is missing something that gives it a spark. I have to wonder if the hype influences our perspectives. Kill Bill came out eight years after Pulp Fiction. There were plenty who already held it as one of the greatest movies ever made. But by the time I got around to watching, I thought the general consensus was an exaggerated herd mentality. I liked Jackie Brown and Reservoir Dogs more for a period. Is that rational? Are there movies that you caught late whose reputations influenced your thoughts on the film? What do you think? Mine, probably number one for this is 2001, where, you know, I think I saw it because Tom Hanks was talking about talking about it in interviews for Apollo 13 and I was like 10 years old like oh I want to see another space movie and then I go and my dad's like are you sure you want to see this movie 2001 and I'm like yeah and then I'm like I could barely get through the monkeys you know it was it was yeah. like what the fuck is this why did Tom Hanks lead me astray like this as a 10 year old no but so, you've revisited um, the film since then Oh, yeah, Austin. Uh, yeah, and I love it like a million times. He's a film um, guy, Austin. What do you think? <laughs> the film guy. It's, it's on, on the podcast. He's watching it now. I see the glare on his face. It's <laughs> oh, on yeah, a screen right here. Right yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so I wonder if also the hype thing, because that was like an age thing too, right? Yeah, that was more of an age thing probably. So that, you're right. In terms of pure hype, I'd have to think a little bit about it. What about you guys? Yeah. Michael? The only thing I can think of is like, I didn't watch any Paul Thomas Anderson films for a while. Um, and I'm trying to think of the first one that I did. But when I finally saw them, it was very much detached from the narrative and hype surrounding them. And mm. liked them all very much because um, this is a real hot take I have. Um, that he's Because he's, he's a good director. <laughs> yeah, Paul Thomas Anderson is good at making movies. You heard it here. People are going to be like, holy shit, he cracked that egg. Um, I don't know. I think... That's that's one thing that comes to mind. It's a really good question. That's the sort of question where like it would have been great to hear yesterday and then now act like we were just hearing it for the first time. And our answers have been so good. But this is proof that we're really organically answering this. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's to me it's obviously the, the case that I oftentimes get you know overinflated expectations or when pe- I I actually I like the opposite when people shit on something and they're like oh it's fucking terrible it's fucking terrible and then I go see like the Meg in the theater and I'm like oh man I had so much fun seeing that you know because it's a terrible movie but I knew that it was gonna be a terrible movie so I was like I'm gonna go in and see this terrible movie and then I just had fun like kind of like laughing at its absurdity stuff like that I I like that version. Um, so maybe we should just undersell everything all the time is what I'm saying. Like, don't. don't. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's just good life advice. <laughs> Under promise, over deliver. <laughs> parenting, whatever you're doing, just promise almost nothing. Give a little bit more and it's going to turn out great. <laughs> all right, let's get out of here. Where can everybody find you on the Internet? Michael. Oh, um, Michael O. Burns uh, on Twitter and Michael O. Burns with some underscores between things uh, on Instagram. Come, come find me. Come to my house. Sweet. What about you, Ryan? Ryan Shorts on YouTube. 
Twitter, Instagram, all that shit. I'm, uh, yeah, I release comedy shorts every week. Go get Hell, come, get come check them out. To the yeah. Awesome. How about you? After after we watch Ryan shorts and we want to find you, where do we go? Uh, you can hit me up on my YouTube channel. It's just Austin Hayden. Uh, I've got a philosophy podcast called Owls at Dawn, and you can find me on Twitter, Austin underscore Hayden, Insta, AUS underscore H-A-Y. Now you guys both have cool YouTube channels. That's so fun. Congrats to both of you. I like both of them very much. It's an emerging platform. I don't buy it. Creators. (laughs) Ryan, send us out of here, brother. Goodbye from inside my apartment. This has been Show Me the Meeting! I'm scared. What do I do? Uh, the world outside. Oh.